the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or estate law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. Call him now at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622 and Ask the Lawyer. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, horses Introduced by David Kincaid, and we are here on hallowed ground in the Trinity Building on Wall Street and Broadway, right next to the Trinity Church Cemetery. Now, for those of you who don't know this show, it's divided in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law, and the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, that's avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. Now, the second part of the show, we talk nostalgia, actors, celebrities, uh, politicians, history, politics, religion, we used to say. And, and tonight we have two guests on. We're going to talk a little bit about religion. We're going to be talking to Professor Foley about drinking with the saints. It's an interview we aired a few months ago, a couple of weeks before St. Patrick's Day, but part of the interview was not heard on some of the stations because we had a, uh, I think, a football, uh, not a football game, a basketball game that uh, canceled it. So we're going to repeat it. It's a little out of date. We're talking, you know, February, March, and but still the message is there. And then, you know, if, uh, about a year ago, we talked to one of our favorite actors on the show, uh, Michael Parks. And Michael Parks, unfortunately, passed away a few months ago, and he's no longer with us. But we were able to get his son, James Parks. He's a very fine actor. And he was in The Sun with Pierce Brosnan. He was also in The Hateful Eight. And just happened to learn that he was in The Rough Riders with Pat Fauci. And Pat Fauci said that James Parks was a really nice guy. And, of course, I think you can find that through the interview. And and James Parks talks fondly about his father and some of his performances. And I know, Beth, you were always one of Michael Parks' biggest fans. Oh, absolutely. When he was, um, when I was a kid, I just thought he was the coolest guy ever. I had a big crush on him, but he's a very good actor. Very good actor. Okay, so, question. Do we have any email questions on there? We do. Um, this is a follow-up. Right. Um, hi, Mike. Thank you for answering my question on air concerning probating a will in a county other than the county of the deceased. You said that you would not say do it because the court might consider it a devious move. Actually, my intent is to make it easier on my executor and alternate executor who live in another county. As my my attorneys also would hand, that would handle the estate also live in another county. If I stated this in my will, would still would you still not recommend doing it? Yeah. Thank you for your response, Mary. Yeah, I'm not saying I wouldn't recommend doing it. I sincerely doubt that the court would exercise jurisdiction. Um, you know, the proper venue, and and, and I, we go to law school to tell the difference between jurisdiction and venue. But the proper venue is the county of domicile for the resident. Now, of course, sometimes, you know, a resident may live in two or three different places, and it's hard to tell what the domicile is. But a court will not want to, or the surrogate's court, will not want to accept a probate proceeding for which it has no material connection with the deceased. Now, if it owns a lot of real estate there and there's no probate assets within the county of 
death, they might accept it. But even then, they're going to want you to go to the county of domicile because, again, there may be claims against the estate. And one of the ways you might be able to avoid the claim against the estate is to probate your will in another county, which the decedent had no connection. So, you know, and I don't think it's going to be that. You know, if you're in New York State, a lawyer licensed in one part of the state can probate a will in any other part of the estate. And I don't, I would never mail an original will. But at the same time, all the other papers could be mailed in documents. So maybe there's one trip. It shouldn't be that convenient. If nobody contests the will, you know, there are not going to be that many trips back and forth to surrogate's court and whatever. And most of the documents can be mailed or a service can do it. So it's not as big as an inconvenience as you may think. And if the lawyer's in business, he should be able to handle a probate in another county. And the executor really doesn't even have to go to court unless the will's contested. And 90% of the wills are not contested at the same time. If you're one of those people whose will might be contested because you have relatives that are not cooperative, then you may want to try to avoid probate anyway and put your assets in a trust so they don't have to go through uh, surrogate's court. All right, let me take uh, a question over the phone, and the question is from Leonard. And yes, Leonard, what's your question? Hi, Mr. Connors. I have a question for you. It's a couple of questions, actually, regarding my mom. Uh, my mom, she... she um, Owns property in Brooklyn. She has a house that she's living in currently in Brooklyn. Um, and she has a uh, 120 acres upstate New York um, that's just a uh, timber lease that she generates about uh, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 a year of in income. Um, now, my father passed away 10 years ago. Um, we never probated anything. Everything was joint with my um, mom. And, uh, you know, uh, my first question is, well, how do we how can we change those deeds or do I need to go to surrogate's court in order to have the deeds changed to my mom's name? They were all joint with her with right of survivorship. Yeah, if it's um, joint between husband and wife, you don't have to change the deed, except mom now can change the deed with a copy of the death certificate and basically her signature. Okay. And then my next question was is um, – I want, I'm trying to convince her. She's 75. She's in very good health right now. But to put um, her house uh, into an irrevocable trust, and I also would want to see if we could put the um, property in upstate New York, the timber lease upstate, into the is trust. Is that possible? Yeah, it's more than possible, assuming she wants to do it. I mean, in the idea behind the irrevocable trust, you would protect it from medical bills right away. So let's say for the sake of argument, you were able to put those assets within an irrevocable trust in September. October 1st, if there were any medical bills not covered by insurance, they would they could not put a lien on these two properties. It's only nursing homes where we have the five-year look-back period where, you know, they examine all your transactions for five years prior to your application for benefits. And, of course, if you want to get that five-year clock started, start in September, October's month number one. And the other advantage is we're going to avoid probate and... You know, the only effective way to avoid probate on real estate is through trust agreement, whether it's revocable or irrevocable. But both trusts will avoid probate on the assets within the trust. Both assets will get the assets out tax-free if your mother's single up to $5,125,000. But the irrevocable trust will protect those properties from lawsuits, from medical bills. And, of course, I don't talk about it a lot because usually the one lawsuit we're usually most afraid of is medical bills, nursing home bills. But, you know, sometimes senior citizens are driving. They shouldn't be driving. If you get in a car accident, that property is protected from a car accident the month after or actually the day after you sign the deed. So there are a lot of advantages to an irrevocable trust, but from your mother's point of view, she's in partnership with her children. And I think Okay, and now go ahead. the only other question I had was if she does an irrevocable trust, now I live here, in New York, but I have a sister in Florida. Now, if we do an irrevocable trust here and she puts the house and, and the property here into the trust, what happens if she wants to move to Florida? Will that will she need to create a new trust? Will the five-year look-back period start over again? No, the five-year look-back period would start from when she started the trust now. I'm going to say hypothetically September. She can move to Florida. The five-year clock has started as long as she doesn't have control o- over the assets. Um and of course, but the only thing is, in New York City, they're more 
home care benefits in the world than, than anywhere else outside of New York City, even upstate New York. The law is the same, but the amount of hours you can get very much restricted compared to the amount of hours that you can get in New York City. So, yes, she can move to Florida. She needs to work with the trustee to sell the properties if she's going to sell them or carry them over into another trust. But, you know, and you might you might always want to check with somebody in your local jurisdiction when you move out of state. But Florida, we've done enough trusts where people move to Florida. We haven't heard any problems with that. But, you know, some other states, New Jersey is horrible, and don't move to New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, I don't know why don't, anybody would move to New Jersey. Move, you know, go, go to Pennsylvania, go go to New York, go to Staten Island, but, you know, don't go to New Jersey. No intentions of her moving to New Jersey. It would be either Florida or New York for her. Okay. Well, that's very good. Okay. Right. Anything else? Thank you. Okay. No, don't. Thank you, Mr. Connor. All right, Thank Leonard. You. Take care. All right, Beth. Um... Now, we had seminars this past week, and we were in Queens, and some people always ask me, when are you coming to, you know, my area or whatever? So in September, on September 12th, we're going to Staten Island. We're going to Bocelli's Restaurant, which is right there by our office in Staten Island at 1250 Highland Boulevard, 1250 Highland Boulevard. It's near Clove Road and Old Town Roads on Highland Boulevard. I mean, if you live in Staten Island, you know where Highland Boulevard is. And we're having seminars in Bocelli's at 11, 3, and 7. First seminar starts at 11 o'clock in the morning, second one at 3, third one at 7. Wednesday, September 13th, we're going to be at the 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street, on 51st Street and off 5th Avenue. And our first seminar is going to be at 11, and our second seminar is going to be at 3. Now, why are we doing it at 3? We're not doing one that night because on September 13th is going to be the opening of the season of the Civil War Roundtable of New York. Ray! You know, Williamson Murray is going to be speaking a very— uh, erudite professor who's got a book out, The Savage War. And I think maybe next week or the week after we'll have to go over our uh, programming schedule because our schedule now is, is set for the year of 2017-18. And, of course, right now we're working on a schedule for uh, 2018 and 19. And I think we're going to have um, Jack Davis back for 2018. And Ed Bonacamper. So we're going to start off 2018 with some great stars, but we got some great people coming up this year. We're going to be talking about the Texans at Gettysburg. We're going to talk about the Savage War. We're going to be talking about Robert E. Lee with uh, Michael Corder. It's going to be an exciting year. We'll go over the schedule in a little more depth. But if you're interested in the Civil War, you know, give us a call. Get more information about the Civil War Roundtable. And again, our first meeting is going to be on September 13th at the 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street. And Beth, you, yes, you know, I mean, you know more about the club than I do. Can you tell somebody about the history of the club? Um, it's very interesting because it was begun by suffragettes. Um, the building is owned by Women's National Republican Club, and um, the women bought the land, they sold bonds, they bought the land, and then they hired the architect that built the building. It's it's a landmark building now. Um, the history of it is extraordinary, and it is beautiful inside. It's um, If you're a woman and you're looking for a nice group of ladies to, to enjoy talking politics and... Um, and life. They've got a wonderful book club. But um, look into Women's National Republican Club. Now, Three West Club is the, that uh, if you want to have a wedding there or like the Civil War Roundtable, we meet there, as do many, many, many other groups. Um, they have beautiful rooms. Um, our meetings are now going to be held in the solarium, which is on the top floor, and it overlooks um, Rockefeller Center, and it's it's beautiful, just beautiful. So right. um, we need to take a short break. Oops. But if 
If you have a question about estate planning, you got to call us soon because we're going to start doing our interviews pretty soon. So the phone number to ask about estate planning is 1-866-970-9622. you got to call in the next minute or two or you're going to be gone until next week. We'll take a short break right now. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, September 12th at Bocelli's Ristorante, 1250 Highland Boulevard in Grasmere, Staten Island at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. And on Wednesday, September 13th at the Three West Club, 3 West 51st Street in Midtown Manhattan at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500. That's Connors & Sullivan, 718 718- 238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com Connors and Sullivan. Plan now for later. Okay, well welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Hello, me, Mike Connors. Uh, the first part of the show is about estate planning and elder law, and this is where we ask, answer your questions. We have Lisa on the phone. Yes, Lisa, what's your uh, question? Yes, hi. Thank you for your great show. I am calling um, one of eight children. Um, my dad is 86 years old. He, we just lost my mom, so he's living Sorry. alone in a huge house, and he's not very receptive to relocating. And I was wondering, it's very difficult, as you know more than anyone, to approach people um, like your own dad about the perils of keeping the home in his name. God forbid he, you know, ends up having to be in a nursing home someday. So I wondered if he could just call you and if you could explain it to him and if he then was understanding um, would come in. It's just that uh, being a big Irish family, um, <laughs> it gets a little hairy. Yeah, plus I'm sure one of the Irish kids is a little uncooperative somewhere. There's always one one in the bunch. Well, yeah, we definitely have a few, um, yeah. you know, zingers going back and forth. But, um, you know, we all have his best interests at heart. It's just that everyone that, has yeah. a different way of approaching what that is. Um, yeah, I, you no, know what if, it is? He's adorable. He goes to Mass every day. He's got God a million church friends. And we're so afraid he's going to give everything to the church because I don't need anything. But there are there are children that definitely do need some assistance um, with income. So we, you know, we're praying to God that he doesn't do anything behind our backs or something. But Okay, but I'll be glad to talk to you, Father, if he wants to call. Or if you want to call and schedule a conference call with me, so because ordinarily if you just pick up the phone and call, I'm going to be with the client. But if you speak to our office manager uh, Monday morning after 9 o'clock, 
we can schedule a conference call, and I'll be more than glad to, to talk to your father. Is he a veteran or? Uh... No, he's a veteran of eight children. Okay, well, that's. <laughs> but he taught, I thought he was a teacher, a special education teacher forever. Okay. Well, but that's... he's adorable, and um, I would love and I appreciate that you would talk to him because okay. um, he's not really versed in all the legal issues that could be confronting him and us along the line here. Yeah, well, you know, for the most part, I see, you know, a thousand people a year, new people. So I get a story on everything, and I've seen everything happen. So, you know, mm-hmm. he, 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 we can schedule a conference call and go from there, hope for the best, and he decides what he want to do. Well, if if we speak to you, his name is James, and if if you would suggest one of your seminars, because he loves to go out lunching, and I think he would... I don't want to tell him, Dad, we're going to a luncheon, but I think if you mentioned it to him, it would be something he would be more receptive to. The nearest we do a seminar to you ordinarily, unless a church group asks to do something, would be Bayside, and we just did our seminar on Bayside yesterday. But oh. We'll probably do it again in uh, October or November, you know, which is wow. you know, Northern Boulevard just come in. It's not that long a drive. Fantastic. Not at all. Well, thank you so much. God bless you and your beautiful wife and all, everything you guys are doing for us little people out here. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for listening. Thank you for calling. God bless you. Okay. okay. All right. So I think we need to take another break. We'll be back in a few minutes. We're going to be talking to Professor Michael Foley from Baylor University, a Baptist institution. And he's going to be talking about drinking with the saints. Again, this was a an interview we taped a few months ago around between Valentine's Day and St. Patrick's Day, but the interview was in part canceled on one of the stations because we had a uh, basketball game that preempted us. So I thought we'd play the, the, you know, the spot again. And for those of you who know, we usually tape our interviews ahead of time. And the reason for that is we had too hard a time getting people at 6 o'clock on a Saturday night to do an interview, so we started taping them in our Brooklyn office in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, ahead of time, so 95% of the interviews you hear were taped in our Brooklyn office, and if any of you ever want to check our office and see who we've interviewed in the past and who's coming up, and if you want to listen to them, you you can call our office on Mondays, speak to Chris Cordani, that's our producer, and he'll tell you, but meanwhile, we're a little bit late on our break, so we'll take a short break, and we'll be back with Professor Michael Foley. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. The pro-life movement is winning. One of the signs of progress is the growing mountain of medical evidence that abortion harms women, men, and families. Even researchers who identify themselves as pro-choice are coming to this conclusion and publishing their research. Abortion advocates try to hide and bury this information. But so much of it continues to come out that their efforts to hide it will not succeed much longer. Abortion really destroys itself. The more it continues, the more it reveals itself as an enemy of the human family. Those who advocate abortion say they care about women's health. But if they do, then they will have no honest rationale for ignoring the harm that abortion does. As the mountain of medical evidence against abortion grows, so should our hope that it will end. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Whenever I sit down with a homeowner, the number one question asked is always, which reverse mortgage option is best for me and my family? I personally will help you decide which reverse mortgage program is best for you. My job is to help active retirees find the best solution for their retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward, objective information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call 888-943-2646. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. 
Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. A lot of you out there in the audience may know that Salem Communications owns the station and also publishing house Regnery. And I was looking through the Regnery titles. One really sticks out, and it says, Drinking with the Saints, The Sinner's Guide to a Holy Happy Hour. And we're very pleased to have the author of that on with us now, Michael Foley. How are you doing today? Doing great, thanks. How do you come up with an idea for this book? Uh, <laughs> well, my family and I, we, we are Catholic, you may have guessed. We like to observe the feast days of the church year. And my wife and I also enjoy a cocktail in the evening. So basically, it was only a matter of time before those two things came together. We figured out a way of combining an observance of the church year with an evening drink. So give me an example. Gosh, where to begin? There are over 200 entries in the book, 350 cocktail recipes. You just find a feast day and see what saint is on there, and you read the story of the saint, and then you see a cocktail suggestion or a wine suggestion or a beer suggestion that somehow ties into the life they lived. Well, we just had St. Valentine's Day a little while ago, so what would be the cocktail for St. Valentine? That was an easy one because... Valentine is a very popular saint, and there are a couple of cocktails called Valentines. So for that day, there were two cocktails actually called Valentine. So I recommended one for before dinner and one for after dinner. What would they be? Well, one was called a Valentine. It was pomegranate, let me think, uh, cranberry juice and banana liqueur and vodka. And it gives you a beautiful red valentine red color and then the after dinner drink was the chocolate valentine and that was my favorite it was also vodka and creme de cacao and a splash of soda water cherry juice and a sprig of mint and it was smooth pretty soon we're going to be coming up on saint patrick's day so what's the cocktail for saint patrick's day that's one of the bigger entries of the book surprise surprise um, in addition to a wide array of Irish whiskeys and Irish beers, you can enjoy a number of different cocktails. There's one called an Irish mule. It's basically a Moscow mule, except with Irish whiskey instead of vodka. And that one's particularly good. Now, if somebody's reading your book, what are they going to learn about the saints? Forget about the cocktails, but what do they learn about the saints? I always start every entry with a description of the saint. And one of the surprises, delightful surprises I had when the book came out was people telling me how much they profited spiritually from these stories. My, my favorite example of this is a family friend asked uh, her children, what's your favorite book? thinking, you know, they'd say Winnie the Pooh or something like that. And the seven-year-old said, drinking with the saints, because he had never heard these stories of the saints before, and he thought they were fascinating. What is your favorite saint that maybe not a lot of people have heard about? Well, I do most of my work, and my favorite saint in general is St. Augustine. But I think a lot of people have heard about him. He was a famous sinner turned saint. But I would also have to point out St. Philip Neri. St. Philip Neri is not a household name, but he was an amazing saint with a terrific sense of humor. He was a real practical jokester, and I'd have to say he's, he's among my very favorite. What's his feast day? May 26, I believe, Some, sometime in late May. I think May 26th is also John Wayne's birthday, which we're, ha uh, we're having go. a celebration about that in Texas. Some people may criticize you. Aren't you promoting drunkenness, drinking too much? If you've read the book, you will know that the answer is no. I, I make it very clear that the point of this is actually to encourage drinking in moderation, that when you slow down and you're mindful about the drink and why you're drinking it, when you have an occasion to celebrate when you're doing this with friends and for the right reasons, 
then um, then you, you can drink in moderation and drink responsibly. That drinking, I think, drunkenness only comes about when you're when you're negligent, when you are irresponsible, or when you're drinking for the wrong reasons, like drinking to forget instead of drinking to remember. But this is a book that encourages a kind of mindful drinking, a drinking that is grateful, a drinking that remembers the good and responds accordingly. Some people might say this book should only be for Catholics, really, because, you know, a lot of other Christian groups really don't reverence the saints to the same extent. Well, that's true. Although, even there, I think, I, I, one of the surprises that I've had with the book as well has been its ecumenical reception. People that I didn't think would like the book have really liked the book. I teach here at Baylor, Baylor's a Baptist university. I've been surprised by the number of Baptist colleagues that I have that have said to me, I really enjoy this book. I enjoy just sitting down and reading the stories and reading the recipes. So I do think it has a a surprisingly broad ecumenical appeal. So you're in Waco, Texas? I am indeed. So you're saying the book is well-received by your Baptist colleagues? Yes, I am. What was the idea that gave you to, to, to write this book? What, what was the germ in there that kept you going? Well, uh, I can tell you how it, it first the, the idea first came to me. My wife and I, like I said, enjoy an evening cocktail together. And it gives us a chance to uh, catch up on our day. How was your day? Swap stories. But one night, she was scheduled to go out. And so I, I came home. My wife was gone. And uh, I didn't want to drink alone. And I was kind of restless and unhappy with this. I'm, I'm used to sort of, you know, the evening cocktail with my wife. And I thought, you know, there should be a book about this, about... A, a sort of daily uh, commemoration of the good things in a way that is moderate. And so I went online and looked around, and I found dozens of Catholic cookbooks, but not a single Catholic bartender's guide. And I thought, ah, this is, this is a hole that sorely needs redressing. So the name of the book, Drinking with the Saints, The Sinner's Guide to a Holy Happy Hour. I guess you can get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Regnery. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike Foley, for coming on our show. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. I have children. How can I protect them if something happens? Will my assets be lost if I go into a nursing home? We have property. How will it affect the ones still here? Who will help us take care of Grandma? These questions can be answered by calling 718-238-6500 for a free consultation from Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, providing dedicated, caring, and highly responsive legal services. They're focused on issues that matter to you, protection of your family, preservation of your assets, and respect of your wishes with dignity. That's all I want from a lawyer, making it easier for my children. Call 718-238-6500. Get a free consultation. Connors & Sullivan's clients don't get lost in the cracks. They have dedicated attorneys who know their clients and the issues that matter most to them. Connors & Sullivan's estate planning, elder law, and probate attorneys work closely with every client. Don't leave behind problems for your family. Call 718-238-6500 and get a free consultation today. Connors & Sullivan. Plan now for later. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, a, a couple of months ago, I was watching a series on AMC. 
it was called The Sun, and it starred Pierce Brosnan. And it, it's about the history of Texas, both in the 19th century and going a little bit into the 20th century. And there's one very remarkable performance in, in that series. And we have the actor who plays Giles on that, James Parks. And, and James, you did a great job in that series. And I understand it's coming back again? Yes, it is coming back. We start shooting in, uh, in November. Thank you very much, by the way, for having me on your show. Um, and uh, uh, we look forward to, to returning to the story. There's a lot of story to be told yet. Okay, now in that, you don't play a guy who's very nice. How do you, how do you get up to play, let's say, the, the evil characters? Well, Niles Gilbert is his name. Um, there's, you know, a tremendous amount of history into each character. That comes from the writer of the book, Philip Meyer. And uh, his, his backstory is very complicated. Um, as far as an actor in coming to play a bad guy, you know, if you're playing a psychopath, um, that's one thing, you know, or a sociopath or something. But if you're not, then there's usually some sort of a level of human motivation or emotion that drives the character to do, even if you say they do evil things. From their point of view, um, they do not seem evil. Uh, you know, and I, I think that happens in, that's just the human condition. It happens today. It will never stop happening. From one point of view, something seems completely evil from the person who's doing it, it seems like a righteous cause. Um, to Niles, uh, who originally comes from the South, and he came from a wealthy family, obviously, slave owners, they lose their land uh, after the Civil War, and it's taken from them, and then they become sharecroppers on their own land. So the indignity of that is what drives him and his his desire to make something of himself in the West. And when he gets to the West, there is this workforce of what are Mexican people who have been there uh, for hundreds of years. But primarily, they are they do all the cattle work at the time in which the story is told, before oil is found in Texas. After oil was found, there was no need for cattle in Texas, that the water had all dried up. And the Mexican of the Carols actually became farm workers, and that's what created this migration of farm work kind of across the nation and, and to California eventually. Um, but he sees them as an invading force. So remember, Texas is at this time very much still a warring state. There was no army in southwest Texas, so and very little police force. You know, one sheriff, one deputy. So if you wanted to take care of yourself, you did it yourself. Um, and people who own large pieces of land, Spanish families that had been there for 300 years, or Western families, there were Dutch families, there were German families. They guarded their own land with their, you know, with guns, with weapons, with, with everything they had. Um, and so there was a kind of conflagration that was coming. Uh, the land was being taken away from the Spanish and the Mexican family that had been there. And there was a real line being drawn saying that all people that came from Mexico were interlopers. And so that's the way Niles sees it. He sees it as a threat to his well-being. He, it reminds him of what happened to him in his past. And he sees it as a way to take the land. And that's kind of part of his creed, if you will, you know, he shares that with Pierce Brosnan's character that, you know, the history of humanity can be boiled down, if you wish to do it this way, into those who take something and keep it, knowing that it will, can and could and will, they believe, be taken from them eventually. And that is, I believe, something that we, it, you know, this goes on across the world and in our own country today. So it's, it's not unusual. He's not a sociopath. He doesn't enjoy killing people. He doesn't dream and wake up in the morning and think, how can I kill a child or how can I go out and torture somebody? He does all of his killings are for a message, for a purpose. But, you know, the way I played him was just if he had his druthers, he'd rather be listening to music and dancing and raising a family. Okay. Now, is Niles coming back next year on The Sun? Yes, he is. And he represents a kind of – he makes good you know, he starts to make money. Um, he starts to become a more influential person in the town. Um, and it's interesting how that will change him and change his point of view with more responsibility and, you know, um, 
more money, more land, um, and he also becomes more interconnected with the McCullough family. So it's, it's very interesting. I don't want to give you any away. It's, it's going to be an exciting season. I'm sure everybody says that. but No, I'm sure it will be. <laughs> if, it, if it matches season one, it'll be very good. A few years back, I interviewed Andrew V. McLaughlin shortly before oh, his yeah. death. He, we were talking about some of the favorite actors he worked with. And, of course, he worked with John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart and Gregory Peck and so forth and so on. One of the names that came up first was your father, Michael Parks. Yeah, yeah. I, I You know, when you sent me the email, I looked and I saw Andy's name. And so I was looking for a film that they had done. My dad did um, three films that I know of, but I think he did some television with Andy early on. But um, the three films that I know that I was – was Last Hard Men was one of them, and I was, I think, just born or just before I was born. So it was, that was – I was not involved in that in any way. But as a little kid, I spent time on a film called The North Sea Hijack, which eventually was called Folks, F-F-O-L-K-S, and then a movie called Breakthrough, which was about, the, about World War II. And I loved Andy McLaughlin. I – he was a, a gentle giant. He was an incredibly sweet man um, and smart and talented, but just uh, the generosity of his spirit, it's hard to be believed. It was, I don't know if that came through in your interview, but when I saw his name, I just, it just almost made me cry. Also with my dad, he loved Andy. He just loved him. He was just a beautiful, beautiful human being. And and they had a lot of fun together. Yeah. Now, how did you get into acting? Obviously, your father was an actor. Did did he encourage you? No, not necessarily. He didn't dis discourage me either, though. Um, when I decided to become an actor, I think I was I was after high school and I had gone to some done some college and junior college and I had uh, taken the theater course and then I had decided that this is you know what I wanted to do. And um, he just—he was very serious about it. That's all. He was very concerned that I take it seriously. Um, the, you know, the old saying is that um, it's not brain surgery, um, but uh, as Lawrence Olivier said, you can't give brain transplants to actors, and you have to be very. My dad felt that you have to be very sensitive, and also you have to apply yourself to a craft. And it's the craftsman side of the work that my dad was, I think, you know, one of, it's my, my opinion, but maybe one of the best ever at. Um, and so to him, it was important that if I were to do it, I take it extremely seriously, um, which I did, which I do. Uh, and and, the, and I, maybe the second or first most important thing would be that I was sensitive. Um, that I had empathy, sympathy, that my dad found uh, was the secret to portraying characters. Now, you had an opportunity to work more than a few times with your father. What was it like working with him? <laughs> the, first, <laughs> the first time, uh, I was just uh, scared to death. You know, I mean, I don't know what else to say. It, 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 was, it was incredibly intimidating, although he made it really fun and easy you know, I look back on it, and um, I was so terrified. And the second time I really worked with him, it was all, I had a much more, I had a larger part in the piece, and I had a kind of scene, a real scene, scene with him, you know, with some confrontation. And, and that was terrifying to me, too, you know. I, I, um, I'm quite aware of his, uh, it's like a, you know, a tiger cub playing with the, with the adult tiger. You know, you're, you're sort of hyper aware that it, it can grab you in its jaws. Although my dad was never like that as an actor. Um, in my experience, he loved to be generous to, to actors. He loved um, to be kind to actors. If you were sensitive and if you had a kind heart, my dad loved you. And he would help you in any way he could. Um, I have, in my career, I've had more actors, um, and cameramen specifically, and some directors come to me and just say how kind he was to other artists, you know. So at first it was very, it was very, very difficult. Uh, but then now with him being gone, I wish, you know, I had a hundred more times to do it, which is always the case. 
you were in The Hateful Eight, which is a different kind of Western, directed by Quentin Tarantino. What was your feeling about making that film? Well, I, you know, I enjoyed it tremendously because I played the stagecoach driver. Um, I had to train for almost three and a half months before the shooting started. And it was a really arduous and terrifying process because uh, uh, what they call a six up, uh, six horse stagecoaches, is kind of like the Cadillac of stagecoaches. You know, they're very expensive and they're very dangerous. And, uh, and I'm not a horseman per se. Um, so it took a lot of focus and a lot of work, you know, to really be able to even handle them marginally well, which I was able to do. Um, and I, um, I had some great teachers, Monty Stewart and Rusty Hendrickson, um, were the, were the Wranglers, head of the Wranglers. And then, um, Jeff Dashnall was the head stunt coordinator and they worked with me for months. But the, the story is, as I'm sure you know, takes place inside this, this way station. And, uh, my character's life and his job and what he is and what he was at that time really didn't have a lot to do with that. All of the intrigue that goes on in there, I am merely a witness to, or I am part of it. So, you know, I didn't, I, I, my character lived outside of that, of that reality. Um, and so as an actor, it was much simpler to play. I had a job to do. I was good at my job. Um, in those days, stagecoach drivers were some of the highest paid professionals in the world, you know, in, in America, for sure. In the West, they, that was how you got anywhere. And, uh, you had to have somebody that was a real horseman. Um, and you had to be strong and sober and proficient. And when you were in a stagecoach, you had to listen to the driver. I mean, there was no monkeying around. So it was a great opportunity to play that kind of character. It was a real gift, and I also got to listen to all those other actors act. And um, for me, it was, you know, a profound learning experience. If there was a a performance out there that you would like the public to see that best represents your work, what would it be? Well, I I, I think the hateful eight, and and uh, and I think the work I do is Niles and the Sun. They're different characters, um, and and that's what I'm most proud of. There is a little independent film that I did uh, a few years ago called Child of Grace, um, and it's a wonderful little film. You can find it on you know all of the different platforms. Um, Ted Levine is the main star of that film, um, and I the character I planned out is also something I really enjoyed doing, and, and I think part of who I am as an actor. But it's the difference in the characters. Um, you know, that's that's something my dad, I, that's one of the great gifts I got from him was the ability or the desire to play a different character, completely different um, in mannerism and language and rhythm and vibration and music and just a completely different cat, as my dad would say. So I think those three, you know. If there was one performance you would want somebody to watch that best showed your father at his best what would it be wow that is such a that's a really difficult question my dad hated all of his younger earlier work i mean he just would he would start to break out into a sweat if anything came on the television we never owned any movies of his no posters no pictures he wouldn't allow any you know i I, there's actually a film festival going on in la at the new beverly starting in a couple of days that they're doing a whole retrospective of my dad's that, that, that Quentin is putting on. And so there's a lot of films in that, um, that he did when he was young, I would say wild seed. Uh, then came Bronson, the pilot for, for the television series he did. Um, but there's a little independent film called noble things. Um, and please write it down. Noble, will, noble things. things. Right, and it, it was uh, written and directed by two young guys from Texas. I have a very small part in it, just passing by the frame, basically. And my dad plays an old Texas sheriff. Um, 
And I would say, God, it's one of my favorite performances of his. The, the depth of emotion and the level of craftsmanship, in my opinion, kind of meet at a peak in that performance um, and, and the great expression of naturalism that he was able to do, which I'm still struggling with. But I, I, those three, maybe, I mean, there's so many. It's very difficult. Good question. Okay, well, thank you for answering it. Listen, we wish you continued success. We want to see you in more things over the future because we enjoy your performances, just as we enjoyed your your father's performances, who's one of our favorite actors. I thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, I'm very humbled and thankful to be following my father's footsteps on the show and Andy McLaughlin, Um, and I just thank you for keeping their... their, uh, spirits alive. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for doing your part. Thank you, James. Good luck. Thank you. Okay, well, again, that was James Parks, actor. You know, he was in The Sun with Pierce Brosnan. If you haven't seen the series, you may want to take a look at it because he does an exceptional job playing, you know, Niles Gilbert. And, of course, Hateful Eight, I have to say it's not one of my favorite movies, but he's very good and I enjoy his performance. And, you know, it did bring a little bit of nostalgia. I remember when we uh, interviewed Michael Parks, Beth. It was, it was a little different. Okay. We lose Beth? Hello, hello. Oh, yeah, okay. Hey, sorry. Two okay. fine men, though. Mm-hmm. Both of them. Um, and James, uh, I do hope we see him more. Um, for those who didn't see The Sun, please watch it, because you can tell that he's just a good man, and his performance shows it. Okay. Now, speaking of actors and Andy McLaughlin, we're, and the reason it's connected is because the guy who gave Andy McLaughlin his first big break was John Wayne, who got him to direct McClintock. And one of the cast members of McClintock was Patrick Wayne. And Patrick Wayne is coming to Brooklyn on October Ray! 9th. Ray. So Patrick Wayne, again, is coming to Brooklyn October 9th. We're going to have a fundraiser. For the John Wayne Cancer Institute, and you're going to have an opportunity to meet Patrick. It's going to be at the Bayridge Manor, 76th Street off 5th Avenue in Brooklyn. Uh, it's going to be a good time because we're going to be talking about old westerns and the fight against cancer and talk a little bit about nostalgia, whatever. And, of course, Patrick Wayne was in all those films with John Ford, all those films with his father, plus some you know, sci- sci-fi and other films of his own. It's gonna. We're gonna have a buffet, and there's gonna be John Wayne's birthday cake, his favorite cake. It's not his birthday, but it's his favorite cake, and um, every, all the money goes to the John Wayne Cancer Institute. Okay. All right. Oh, no. Well, there's there's David Kincaid again. Thanks to Pat Fousey for his help on these things. We'll see you next week on Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by his wife Beth. Bye-bye. Here on hallowed ground to sing this song away. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.